0: Chapter 8 of Ruth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Lyons. Ruth by Elizabeth Cleghorn Gasco. Chapter 8 Mrs. Bellingham Does the Thing Handsomely. If Mr. Bellingham did not get rapidly well, it was more owing to the morbid querulous fancy attendant on great weakness than from any unfavourable medical symptom. But he turned away with peevish loathing from the very sight of food, prepared in the slovenly manner which had almost disgusted him when he was well. It was of no use telling him that Simpson, his mother's maid, had superintended the preparation at every point. He offended her by detecting something offensive, and to be avoided, in her daintiest messes, and made Mrs. Morgan mutter many a hasty speech, which, however, Mrs. Bellingham thought it better not to hear until her son should be strong enough to travel. "'I think you are better to-day,' said she, as his man— wheeled his sofa to the bedroom window we shall get you downstairs to-morrow if you were to get away from this abominable place i could go down to-day but i believe i'm to be kept prisoner here for ever i shall never get well here i'm sure he sank back on his sofa in impatient despair the surgeon was announced and eagerly questioned by mrs bellingham as to the possibility of her son's removal and he, having heard the same anxiety for the same end expressed by Mrs. Morgan in the regions below, threw no great obstacles in the way. After the doctor had taken his departure, Mrs. Bellingham cleared her throat several times. Mr. Bellingham knew the prelude of old, and winced with nervous annoyance. Henry, There is something I must speak to you about, an unpleasant subject, certainly, but one which has been forced upon me by the very girl herself. You must be aware to what I refer, without giving me the pain of explaining myself. Mr. Bellingham turned himself sharply round to the wall, and prepared himself for a lecture by concealing his face from her notice. But she herself was in too nervous a state to be capable of observation." of course she continued it was my wish to be as blind to the whole affair as possible though you can't imagine how mrs mason has blazoned it abroad all Fordham rings with it but of course it could not be pleasant or indeed i may say correct for me to be aware that a person of such improper character was under the same i beg your pardon dear henry what do you say "'Ruth is no improper character, mother. "'You do her injustice. "'My dear boy, you don't mean to uphold her as a paragon of virtue.' "'No, mother, but I let her wrong. I. "'We will let all discussions into the cause or duration of her present character drop, "'if you please,' said Mrs. Bellingham, "'with the sort of dignified authority which retained a certain power over her son, "'a power which originated in childhood.' and which he only defied when he was roused into passion. He was too weak in body to oppose himself to her, and fight the ground inch by inch. As I have implied, I do not wish to ascertain your share of blame. From what I saw of her one morning, I am convinced of her forward, intrusive manners, utterly without shame or even common modesty. What are you referring to? asked Mr. Bellingham sharply. Why, when you were at the worst and I had been watching you all night and had just gone out in the morning for a breath of fresh air, this girl pushed herself before me and insisted upon speaking to me. I really had to send Mrs. Morgan to her before I could return to your room. A more impudent, hardened manner I never saw. Ruth was neither impudent nor hardened, she was ignorant enough, and might offend from knowing no better. He was getting weary of the discussion, and wished it had never had begun. From the time he had become conscious of his mother's presence he had felt the dilemma he was in, in regard to Ruth, and various plans had directly crossed his brain, but it had been so troublesome to weigh and consider them all properly that they had been put aside to be settled when he grew stronger but this difficulty in which he was placed by his connection with ruth associated the idea of her in his mind with annoyance and angry regret at the whole affair he wished in the languid way he wished for and felt everything not immediately relating to his daily comfort that he had never seen her it was a most awkward a most unfortunate affair notwithstanding this annoyance connected with an arising out of ruth he would not submit to hear her abused and something in his manner impressed this on his mother for she immediately changed her mode of attack we may as well drop all dispute as to the young woman's manners but i suppose you do not mean to defend your connection with her i suppose you are not so lost to all sense of propriety as to imagine it fit or desirable that your mother and this degraded girl should remain under the same roof liable to meet at any hour of the day she waited for an answer but no answer came i ask you a simple question is it or is it not desirable i suppose it is not he replied gloomily and i suppose from your manner that you think the difficulty would be best solved by my taking my departure and leaving you with your vicious companion again no answer but inward and increasing annoyance of which mr bellingham considered ruth the cause at length he spoke mother you are not helping me in my difficulty i have no desire to banish you nor to hurt you after all your care for me Ruth." has not been so much to blame as you imagine that i must say but i do not wish to see her again if you can tell me how to arrange it otherwise without behaving unhandsomely only spare me all this worry awhile i am so weak i put myself in your hands dismiss her as you wish it but let it be done handsomely and let me hear no more about it i cannot bear it let me have a quiet life without being lectured while i am pent up here and unable to shake off unpleasant thoughts my dear henry rely upon me no more mother it's a bad business and i can hardly avoid blaming myself in the matter i don't want to dwell upon it don't be too severe in your self-reproaches while you are so feeble dear henry it is right to repent but i have no doubt in my own mind she led you wrong with her artifices but as you say everything should be done handsomely i confess i was deeply grieved when i first heard of the affair but since i have seen the girl well i'll say no more about her since i see it displeases you but i am thankful to god that you see the error of your ways she sat silent thinking for a little while and then sent for her writing-case and began to write her son became restless "'and nervously irritated. "'Mother,' he said, "'this affair worries me to death. "'I cannot shake off the thoughts of it. "'Leave it to me. "'I'll arrange it satisfactorily. "'Could we not leave to-night? "'I should not be so haunted "'by this annoyance in another place. "'I dread seeing her again "'because I fear a scene, "'and yet I believe I ought to see her "'in order to explain. "'You must not think of such a thing, Henry.' said she, alarmed at the very idea. "'Sooner than that. "'We will leave in half an hour "'and try to get to Pentre tonight. to-night. "'It is not yet three, and the evenings are very long. "'Simpson should stay and finish the packing. "'She could go straight to London and meet us there. "'MacDonald and Nurse could go with us. "'Can you bear twenty miles, do you think?' "'Anything to get rid of his uneasiness.' He felt that he was not behaving as he should do to Ruth, though the really right never entered his head. But it would extricate him from his present dilemma, and save him many lectures. He knew that his mother, always liberal where money was concerned, would do the thing handsomely, and it would always be easy to write and give Ruth what explanation he felt inclined, in a day or two. So he consented, and soon lost some of his uneasiness in watching the bustle of the preparation for their departure. All this time Ruth was quietly spending in her room, beguiling the waiting, weary hours with pictures of the meeting at the end. Her room looked to the back, and was in a side wing away from the principal's state apartments. Consequently she was not roused to suspicion by any of the commotion but indeed if she had heard the banging of doors the sharp directions the carriage wheels she would still not have suspected the truth her own love was too faithful it was four o'clock and past when some one knocked at her door and on entering gave her a note which mrs bellingham had left that lady had found some difficulty in wording it so as to satisfy herself but it was as follows my son on recovering from his illness is i thank god happily conscious of the sinful way in which he has been living with you by his earnest desire and in order to avoid seeing you again we are on the point of leaving this place but before i go i wish to exhort you to repentance and to remind you that you will not have your own guilt alone upon your head but that of any young man whom you may succeed in entrapping into vice, I shall pray that you may turn to an honest life, and I strongly recommend you, if indeed you are not dead in trespasses and sins, to enter some penitentiary. In accordance with my son's wishes, I forward you in this envelope a banknote of fifty pounds. Margaret Bellingham Was this the end of all? Had he indeed gone... She started up and asked this last question of the servant, who, half-guessing at the purport of the note, had lingered about the room, curious to see the effect produced. "Is indeed, miss, the carriage drove from the door as I came upstairs. You'll see it now on the Ispity Road, if you'll please to come to the window of number 24.' Ruth started up and followed the chambermaid ay there it was slowly winding up the steep white road on which it seemed to move at a snail's pace she might overtake him she might she might speak one farewell word to him print his face on her heart with a last look nay when he saw her he might retract and not utterly for ever leave her thus she thought and she flew back to her room and, snatching up her bonnet, ran, tying the strings with her trembling hands as she went down the stairs, out at the nearest door, little heeding the angry words of Mrs. Morgan, for the hostess, more irritated at Mrs. Bellingham's severe upbraiding at parting than mollified by her ample payment, was offended by the circumstances of Ruth in her wild haste, passing through the prohibited front door but ruth was away before mrs morgan had finished her speech out and away scudding along the road thought lost in the breathless rapidity of her motion though her heart and head beat almost to bursting what did it signify if she could but overtake the carriage it was a nightmare constantly evading the most passionate wishes and endeavours and constantly gaining ground every time it was visible it was in fact more distant but ruth would not believe it if she could but gain the summit of that weary everlasting hill she believed that she could run again and would soon be nigh upon the carriage as she ran she prayed with wild eagerness she prayed that she might see his face once more even if she died on the spot before him it was one of those prayers which god is too merciful to grant But despairing and wild as it was, Ruth put her soul into it and prayed it again and yet again. Wave above wave of the ever-rising hills were gained, were crossed, and at last Ruth struggled up to the very top and stood on the bare table of moor, brown and purple, stretching far away till it was lost in the haze of the summer afternoon. The white road was all flat before her, but the carriage she sought, and the figure she sought, had disappeared. There was no human being there. A few wild, black-faced mountain sheep, quietly grazing near the road, as if it were long since they had been disturbed by the passing of any vehicle, was all the life she saw on the bleak moorland. She threw herself down on the ling by the side of the road in despair, her only hope was to die and she believed she was dying she could not think she could not believe anything surely life was a horrible dream and god would mercifully awaken her from it she had no penitence no consciousness of error or offence no knowledge of any one circumstance but that he was gone yet afterwards, long afterwards she remembered the exact motion of a bright green beetle busily meandering among the wild thyme near her and she recalled the musical balanced wavering drop of a skylock into her nest near the heather bed where she lay the sun was sinking low the hot air had ceased to quiver near the hotter earth when she bethought her once more of the note which she had impatiently thrown down before half-mastering its contents. Oh, perhaps, she thought, I have been too hasty. There may be some words of explanation from him on the other side of the page, to which, in my blind anguish, I never turned. I will go and find it. She lifted herself heavily and stiffly from the crushed heather she stood dizzy and confused with her change of posture, and was so unable to move at first, that her walk was but slow and tottering. But, by and by, she was tasked and goaded by thoughts which forced her into rapid motion, as if by it she could escape from her agony. She came down on the level ground, just as many gay or peaceful groups were sauntering leisurely home with hearts at ease with low laughs and quiet smiles and many an exclamation at the beauty of the summer evening ever since her adventure with the little boy and his sister ruth had habitually avoided encountering these happy innocents may i call them these happy fellow-mortals and even now The habit grounded on sorrowful humiliation had power over her. She paused, and then, on looking back, she saw more people who had come into the main road from a side path. She opened a gate into a pasture-field, and crept up to the hedge-bank until all should have passed by, and she could steal into the inn unseen she sat down on the sloping turf by the roots of an old hawthorn tree which grew in the hedge she was still tearless with hot burning eyes she heard the merry walkers pass by she heard the footsteps of the village children as they ran along to their evening play she saw the small black cows come into the fields after being milked and life seemed yet abroad when would the world be still and dark, and fit for such a deserted, desolate creature as she was? Even in her hiding place she was not long at peace. The little children, with their curious eyes peering here and there, had peeped through the hedge and through the gate, and now they gathered from all the four corners of the hamlet and crowded round the gate, and one more adventurous and the rest had run into the field to cry, "'Give me a haypenny!' which set the example to every little one, emulous of his boldness. And there, where she sat low on the ground and longing for the sure hiding-place earth gives to the weary, the children kept running in and pushing one another forwards and laughing. Poor things! Their time had not come for understanding what sorrow is." Ruth would have begged them to leave her alone and not madden her utterly, but they knew no English save the one eternal, "'Give me a hapenny." She felt in her heart that there was no pity anywhere. Suddenly, while she doubted God, a shadow fell across her garments, on which her miserable eyes were bent. She looked up. The deformed gentleman she had twice before seen stood there he had been attracted by the noisy little crowd and had questioned them in welsh but not understanding enough of the language to comprehend their answers he had obeyed their signs and entered the gate to which they pointed there he saw the young girl whom he had noticed at first for her innocent beauty and the second time for the idea he had gained respecting her situation there he saw her crouched up like some hunted creature with a wild, scared look of despair which almost made her lovely face seem fierce. He saw her dress soiled and dim, her bonnet crushed and battered with her tossings to and fro on the moorland bed. He saw the poor lost wanderer, and when he saw her he had compassion on her. There was some look of heavenly pity in his eyes, as gravely and sadly they met her upturned gaze which touched her stony heart still looking at him as if drawing some good influence from him she said low and mournfully he has left me sir he has indeed he has gone and left me before he could speak a word to comfort her she had burst into the wildest dreariest crying ever mortal cried the settled form of the event when put into words went sharp to her heart Her moans and sobs wrung his soul, but, as no speech of his could be heard, if he had been able to decide what best to say, he stood by her in apparent calmness, while she, wretched, wailed and uttered her woe. But when she lay worn out and stupefied into silence, she heard him say to himself in a low voice, "Oh my God, for Christ's sake, pity her ruth lifted up her eyes and looked at him with a dim perception of the meaning of his words she regarded him fixedly in a dreamy way as if they struck some chord in her heart and she were listening to its echo and so it was his pitiful look or his words reminded her of the childish days when she knelt at her mother's knee and she was only conscious of a straining longing desire to recall it all. He let her take her time, partly because he was powerfully affected himself by all the circumstances, and by the sad pale face upturned to his, and partly by an instinctive consciousness that the softest patience was required. But suddenly she startled him, as she herself, was startled into a keen sense of the suffering agony of the present. She sprang up and pushed him aside and went rapidly towards the gate of the field. He could not move as quickly as most men, but he put forth his utmost speed. He followed across the road on to the rocky common, but as he went along with his uncertain gait in the dusk gloaming he stumbled and fell over some sharp projecting stone. The acute pain which shot up his back forced a sharp cry from him, and when bird and beast are hushed into rest, and the stillness of night is over all, a high-pitched sound like the voice of pain is carried far in the quiet air. Ruth, speeding on in her despair, heard the sharp utterance, and stopped suddenly short. It did what no remonstrance could have done. It called her out of herself." The tender nature was in her still, in that hour when all good angels seemed to have abandoned her. In the old days she could never bear to hear or see bodily suffering in any of God's meanest creatures, without trying to succour them, and now, in her rush to the awful death of the suicide, she stayed her wild steps and turned to find from whom that sharp sound of anguish had issued. He lay among the white stones, too faint with pain to move, but with an agony in his mind far keener than any bodily pain, as he thought that, by his unfortunate fall, he had lost all chance of saving her. He was almost overpowered by his intense thankfulness when he saw her white figure pause and stand listening, and turn again with slow footsteps, as if searching for some lost thing. He could hardly speak but he made a sound which, though his heart was inexpressibly glad, was like a groan. She came quickly towards him. "'I am hurt,' said he. "'Do not leave me.' His disabled and tender frame was overcome by the accident and the previous emotions, and he fainted away. Ruth flew to the little mountain stream, the dashing sound of whose waters had been tempting her— but a moment before to seek forgetfulness in the deep pool into which they fell. She made a basin of her joined hands, and carried enough of the cold fresh water back to dash into his face and restore him to consciousness. While he still kept silence, uncertain what to say best fitted to induce her to listen to him, she said softly, Are you better, sir? Are you very much hurt? Not very much. I am better any quick movement is apt to cause me a sudden loss of power in my back and i believe i stumbled over some of these projecting stones it will soon go off and you will help me to go home i am sure oh yes can you go now i am afraid of your lying too long on this heather there is a heavy dew he was so anxious to comply with her wish and not weary out her thought for him and so turn her back upon herself that he tried to rise. The pain was acute, and this she saw. Don't hurry yourself, sir. I can wait. Then came across her mind the recollection of the business that was thus deferred, but the few homely words which had been exchanged between them seemed to have awakened her from her madness. She sat down by him, and covering her face with her hands, cried mournfully and unceasingly, She forgot his presence, and yet she had a consciousness that someone looked for her kind offices, that she was wanted in the world and must not rush hastily out of it. The consciousness did not take this definite form. It did not become a thought, but it kept her still, and it was gradually soothing her. "'Can you help me to rise now?' said he after a while. She did not speak, but she helped him up, and then he took her arm, and she led him tenderly through all the little velvet paths where the turf grew short and soft between the rugged stones. Once more on the highway they slowly passed along in the moonlight. He guided her by a slight motion of the arm through the more unfrequented lanes to his lodgings at the shop, for he thought for her and conceived the pain she would have in seeing the lighted windows of the inn. He leaned more heavily on her arm, as they awaited the opening of the door. "'Come in,' said he, not relaxing his hold, and yet dreading to tighten it, lest she should defy restraint, and once more rush away. They went slowly into the little parlour behind the shop. The bonny-looking hostess, Mrs. Hughes by name, made haste to light the candle. And then they saw each other face to face. The deformed gentleman looked very pale, but Ruth looked as if the shadow of death was upon her. End of chapter eight.